Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Hiya, welcome to The Curve Podcast. My name is Andrew Pearce and this podcast is recorded in Bulu, Western Australia. The music that you're hearing behind me there is by Mark Bradshaw and it's his score for the film You Won't Be Alone and the track's name is Maria. And You Won't Be Alone is going to be screening as part of the Best 22 of 2022 lineup at Acme from the 1st of December through to the 29th of January. And in this particular episode, I catch up with the uh, film programmer and curator, Reese Godwin, for Acme and discuss with him how the decision process was made for these Best 22 films that are going to be screening throughout December and January at, at Acme in Melbourne, alongside a, another great lineup of films, which is Days of Summer, which are a whole bunch of films that are about summer and evoking the feeling of summer on screen. It's really brilliant stuff. The lineup of the best 22 of 2022 is also really fantastic with a whole bunch of really great films that maybe didn't get the cinema release in Melbourne that they probably deserved because of the pandemic and lockdowns and the like. And these include Flea, Andrea Arnold's Cow, Memoria, uh, Bones and All, Nightmare Alley, Triangle of Sadness, and as I mentioned, You Won't Be Alone, as well as James Vaughan's Friends and Strangers. really good good films there i'm going to stick the links in the show notes for that but for now stick around for the discussion with reese and learn about how films are curated and planned for acme and also find out about what one of his favorite exhibits is at the acme museum as well if you're in melbourne you really must head along and go and see this beautiful stunning ode to cinema Thanks, guys. Uh, if you want to listen to other episodes of the show as well, head over to thecurb.com.au and you can also read reviews and interviews on there too. Cheers. I guess I'm curious to start off with talking about how you came up with a best 22 of 2022. What was the decision process of what particular films you would, would show in that kind of a, a, a run of screenings yes so uh, we obviously everyone's doing their best of lists at the moment or they will be soon so we uh, just kind of wanted to chime in with uh, with everybody doing their own but at the same time we wanted to do something a bit different so a lot of um, best of lists will be films that were released internationally uh, in 2022 uh, but we looked at this year as being a really special year and it's it's the year where film productions are uh, you know back in full swing cinemas are open and they haven't really had to close for um, for COVID this year so we've kind of had our first year of getting back to normal Um, and what we noticed was that there was still there was this backlog of films from going back to 2020 that hadn't 
uh, had the opportunity to be screened. So we didn't really want to limit our list to 2022. We uh, wanted to um, uh, look at films that were released in Australia this year, um, but they may have been uh, plans to have been released um, last year or the year before. We noticed that a lot of films had a much longer journey to Australian screens than normal. So it's quite normal for films, you know, that premiered at Cannes last year to eventually arrive on screens in Australia this year. But, um, but that, that journey is a lot longer because of uh, that interruption to cinemas and production. So, um, yeah, we, we opened the, 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 well, we cast a net very wide for this one. And uh, we didn't just look at films that had a great plot, which um, a lot of um, uh, kind of gut reactions to films are based on the storyline. We, we kind of looked at uh, films that had uh, great cinematography, great acting, uh, even great set design. And I think when we um, assess films for our audience, we uh, don't just kind of look at the superficial things. We look at, at the uh, all of the elements of making a film and we uh, respect our audience to, um, to value all the different pieces of the, the puzzle that make up a film. So, so we kind of looked at all of those for this one. Um, and uh, I guess the other aspect of it is we didn't just look at uh, American films, we, we looked across um, uh, a, a broader range of countries of production for our final list. Do you have a personal favourite that you want to, that you're like, you're super excited to be able to put onto screen? Uh, I do. Uh, it's, uh, have you seen Cow by uh, Andrea Arnold? I have not stalled, like prepared myself to watch that film yet because I understand it's, no. it's powerful. <laughs> it's it's very powerful. It's and it's a. I mean, Andrea Arnold. Uh, many people will know uh, her as the director from American uh, Honey, but she's directed a whole bunch of great films. Um, and Cow is an amazing documentary about a dairy cow, the life of a dairy cow. I think it might have been filmed over about four or five years, um, and it's her first documentary. Uh, and it's a film that not many people have seen because I think it was originally um, ready to be screened in 2020, and obviously, you know, the cinema world was uh, not what it is today, and it, so it's it's had a really unusual journey to, to screen, and it's, it's had a couple of screenings in festivals, but it's uh, at the moment it's uh, on streaming platforms and so it hasn't really had the big screen moment that it really deserves and it's a film that you can watch at home and really get engrossed in but I think watching it in the cinema without having you know your iPhone beeping at you while you're trying to concentrate on it I think people will really value seeing it in the big screen and just being sucked into this weird experience of a uh, dairy cow <laughs> um, which I think will be unexpected for a lot of people. It's it's a really special film for me uh, because it's about an animal, but it is a really emotional and humanist journey that it takes you on. And in a way, it's it's strangely more compassionate than many other films that have been released um, in Australia this year. So it's it's a really special film. You're also showing Memoria, which I was fortunate enough to get to see in a cinema here in Perth, and. 
it's a film which I think is like there was this whole talk of it just being touring from city to city and now of course it's out on blu-ray but and i've rewatched it at home but the experience isn't the same as what it is like sitting in a cinema and watching it. it it is really a cinema film what's it like to be able to bring that back to cinemas for audiences to experience that again we were just looking for any excuse to bring that back into the cinema i think if if you're at home and you've got the biggest big screen TV that you can find and the biggest speakers that you can find, you might get somewhat close to watching it in a cinema, but it's a film that really relies on uh, sound, big sound, and uh, and also your unwavering attention on the screen. It's another one where if you're distracted for any moment, then it really breaks the spell. So uh, I think watching it in the cinema is uh, incredibly important for this film. Um, and yeah, it, it really it really can cast a spell over you, and and it just kind of, I mean, you'll know from when you see it, you just kind of uh, surrender yourself to it, and it, it just washes over you in a, in a way that's really quite special, I think. And then you've also got two Australian films, You Won't Be Alone, which is just a stunning debut film, and then Friends and Strangers, which is also a really stunning debut film. Can you talk about selecting those two films in the, the 22 films that you're screening? Uh, you Won't Be Alone, I was really keen to include that one. Well, firstly, because it's Australian, and secondly, it's a really great example of uh, a horror film without it being completely um, locked into the traditions of the horror film. Uh, it's more a horror-adjacent film, um, but it's, I think, thought it was really special to kind of include uh, something that is horror without necessarily needing to be horror. Um, and it's, it's a really well-executed film. It's, it's really amazing that it's um, uh, a debut film, I think. Um, and Friends and Strangers, we were really lucky to do an exclusive run of that earlier in the year. So uh, we're just big fans of that film. So we were really happy to... Uh, bring that one back into the cinema. Like when it comes to programming for Acme and and screening films at Acme, do you have a style of film in mind that kind of fits the Acme mold, or is anything possible for the for screening at Acme? Um, anything's possible. Uh, where and look, there's there's nothing that we won't consider and nothing that we won't put on screen in the right context. Um, so we're really open with what we'll screen, but it's just a case of. Uh, when we're assessing films, we'll really consider uh, the the great breadth of our audience, and we'll kind of put ourselves in their in their shoes and and think about what they would think before they go in. Um, what 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 will they think of the film before they even you know walk into the cinema? What will they think when they're in the cinema experiencing it in in that you know brief ninety minutes? And then when they're walking out the door, we'll also think, well, what will, what's the, what would be on their mind as they're they're leaving the cinema? What will they be thinking? What kind of questions would they be um, asking themselves? So we consider all of those things. And so when we're looking at films to include in our programs, we're really thinking about all of that. Uh, and we're also thinking about new audiences as well. Like um, as broad as our audience is, there's a huge community, particularly in Melbourne, that uh, we want to bring into our cinema as well. With that in mind, is that is that what helped inform the selections for Days of Summer as well, which is another really exciting i love the 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 theme of that presenting summer on screen um mm -hmm. but yeah can you talk about the selection process of that and yeah. kind of catering towards that melbourne audience well yeah. we 
Everything I just said applies to Days of Summer as well, except that all of the films, um, more so than for uh, the the best 22 of 2022, all of those films carry with themselves nostalgia, awareness. Uh, people may have experienced them before, so they, they already have this idea of, of what it's going to be before they walk into the door. Um, they might be films that somebody's seen before and, and they're just looking for... A, uh, an excuse to kind of come in and, and re-experience it or they're films that have this huge, I guess, respect um, out there and, and if you haven't seen them, you're like, I've always wanted to see that film. This is a really great opportunity to, to come in and, and see it on the screen. So we, we, we kind of considered that um, as well. But I guess the main thing that was on our mind or one of the main things was that whether we know it or not when in summer we choose different films to go and see as audiences uh, i think we're less likely to go and see a really hard-hitting documentary um, and we're more likely to see something that is a bit more comfortable and uh, for lack of a better word just a bit warmer uh, so that was kind of the the thread that we wanted to like sew between all the films um, was uh just something that's quite obvious. It's it's summer on on screen. It's it's summery films, films that have that kind of warmth and that kind of freedom that you expect from summer. Yeah, just kind of bringing those all together. I look at what goes on in Melbourne, and I sit here in Perth, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, should I should I move over there just for the cinemas, just for what's getting screened? <laughs> you know, like the the work that you 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 guys put on and the Aster as well with the retrospective screenings and stuff like that. There is this real support and community support for not only modern films that may not get the, the screenings that they deserve, but also older films as well. And I'm curious if you can talk about that, the importance of keeping older cinema alive in this kind of avenue, in this kind of uh, spotlight on what that film is about. Days of Summer, for example. Commercially speaking, uh, and I include Acme in this as well, but all cinemas will uh, really value the exclusivity of watching something for that brief moment that it's exclusive in cinemas only. Um, that's that's valuable. It's useful, um, like, commercially. And audiences like seeing something in a cinema as a new release, um, knowing that it's not available anywhere else for that moment in time, but that's a really short-lived period of time. And it, um, and over the years, the, the period of time that a, a cinema can be exclusive with a film has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. And um, in some cases, it's just there's no exclusive period for a new release. Um, so I think... What we try to do, and well, we don't even try to do it, it just kind of comes naturally to us, is we want to not just focus on that exclusive experience, but also the experience of being in a cinema, whether it's exclusive or not. Uh, so a 20-year-old film is probably available on TV, on streaming services, on uh, home entertainment, but it's not available in a cinema, which is a really unique view, uh, viewing experience in many cases, as pristine a viewing experience as you can get. And a lot of the classic, a lot of the, the best films in the world, let's say 99.99% of the best films in the world are not new releases, uh, which I think is an understatement. Um, so we want to we want to give all those screen, those um, films, uh, uh, that kind of pristine viewing experience for, um, for people wanting to view them. And this, it's, yeah, there's so much opportunity uh, putting together a, a retrospective program uh, like that. 
when when you're putting it through uh, together as well, I, I assume that there's going to be films that you personally haven't seen on the big screen because of the fact that you know they may be decades old. Is that the case for you? And if so, is there any particular film in the the days of summer summer lineup that you're specifically really looking forward to seeing in a cinema? Uh, yeah. So in many cases, we haven't seen them on the big screen before, um, and that goes for new films as well. You don't often get a chance to see it on a big screen when you're you're deciding on whether to uh, to screen a new release, for instance. Um, and so it is quite a, a discovery moment when you do get to go into the cinema for the first time and, and see it as a as a programmer well is there any sp- any particular film out of the lineup that you're personally keen to see <laughs> i mean this is a really strange reason why but um uh picnic and hanging rock which i actually actually have seen on in a cinema um in part not in its entirety but i i am really looking forward to seeing it in its entirety uh, but Picnic at Hanging Rock is one that I'm really looking forward to because it's uh, screening on Valentine's Day. I think that just gives it an extra reason to go and see it, not as a Valentine's Day fan, but it's quite a... I mean, it, it's... I'm, I'm, sure, have you, I'm sure you've seen Picnic at Hanging Rock, I'll, I'm assuming, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I haven't okay, seen great. it in cinema. I've seen it at home multiple times, but yeah. <laughs> so uh, what a lot of people forget is that it's actually set on Valentine's Day in 1900. And so it makes sense to screen it on that day, but it also it potentially can draw in a Valentine's Day audience, but also an audience of people that absolutely hate Valentine's Day. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that combination of people in the in the audience watching Picnic at Hanging Rock on the 14th of Feb, um, which is a very uh, strange reason to want to see it on the big screen. But I, I just love that, um, that one of our other programmers has put it on that day. I don't think it's a strange reason at all, because it's those kinds of things that inform how we respond to what we're watching on screen, right? And it's it can be our, the, like, uh, one of the things which I love about Acme is that it's the journey of actually going to Federation Square, of being there and then either you've gone to the museum and then go and watch a movie or watch a movie and then go to the museum and experience like that, that bond with cinema and film and the filmmakers and the stories about it continues more than your average cinema might do. And all of those things inform how we watch a film, how we engage with it. And I'm curious if you can talk about, um, how much that means for you as somebody who is programming the films to have that kind of communal cinema experience, like this air of cinema and the history of cinema all around you working there and building it, you know, as part of Acme and, and what that experience might be like for somebody visiting as well. Well, I mean, maybe I'll talk about a couple of things there. We, we always try to uh, look for connections between our cinemas and our other spaces and our other programs. Um, so, uh, where there's a connection between what we're screening in the cinema and our uh, centerpiece exhibition, the story of the moving image, we'll, we'll try to tie those two things together so somebody can go uh, and see a film and then head downstairs and go and experience it in our gallery spaces. I think that's a really special and unique thing that we can do. Um, and also the conversations in between as well, the conversations and and um and ideas that uh that we can kind of surround our films and exhibitions with i think is really unique and special um i mean kind of 
being surrounded by film and TV and uh, and media of all sorts is is something I'm really uh, grateful for <laughs> because it's uh, we're, we're just constantly surrounded by it. Yeah, and as far as the communal experience goes, inside our building, I mean, obviously, it, you can kind of soak it up in our spaces, but also in between our spaces. We've, like, if you're walking uh, between our cinema and our cafe, you'll see, um, you know, puppets of the ferals, for instance, in a display cabinet, which is a bit of an unexpected surprise, but you don't really expect that when you're going from A to B. But it, it, as far as value, valuing the communal experience in our cinema itself, I think that is hugely valuable and something that we've kind of lost over the past few years, kind of coming together and being in a cinema, experiencing something at the same time. So that's that's kind of a really, really incredible experience. And just to give you like a little bit of a, a, a an anecdote that jumps out is that we screened, um, this is actually before COVID, we screened um, the Game of Thrones uh, an episode from the final series and obviously everyone yeah. in the cinema had been watching game of thrones on their tvs at home or on their laptops or or smartphones but though in the cinema watching the, this first episode and the very first thing that came up was the hbo logo on the screen and it kind of makes that uh sound and everyone in the audience strangely started laughing at that moment it was because it was so weird they were so used to that being in their own homes and all of a sudden it was on this big screen and it just felt strange and weird for them to to kind of hear that sound and see that logo on screen and everyone in the audience just kind of started giggling to themselves and it was just a, a kind of a nice collective moment of yeah. excitement and being uncomfortable <laughs> i think i'm curious for you is there a, a an an aspect or a, an item in the permanent collection that you particularly love a lot or that you like to go and visit uh, and experience? Uh, yeah, there's, um, well, there's a couple of things. And there's also a few things that, you know, that you often hear the, our uh, exhibition audience getting excited about. Maybe they'll post something on Twitter or maybe they'll say something in the building that you'll overhear. And there's a bit of a crossover with what they get excited by and what I get excited by. Um, but one of them is uh, the Mad Max car, um, which we've had in um, in the exhibition before. But I, I mean, I don't want to spoil how it's presented, but it's presented in a completely different way. I think that our exhibitions team, that they've done a really great job in, in kind of creating that moment in the exhibition. Um, and the other one is the piano from uh, the Jane Campion film, The Piano, um, which we haven't really like made a big song and dance about having that in the exhibition. And so when people uh, see it and they're like, hang on a minute, <laughs> that's the piano, then they get very excited. And, um, and yeah, that's kind of one of my favourite moments in the exhibition as well. It's kind of, you have to stop yourself from, from reaching out and, and starting to like play it. <laughs> Thanks again to Reese Goblin for talking to me about Acme and the Best 22 of 2022, which is screening right now at Acme. Head over to acme.net.au for more details. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you in the next one. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details.